This episode of Getting Better Acquainted was recorded some time ago. Julie, who you're going to hear talking, has probably done another 100 comedy gigs of various kinds since then. So the stuff she's talking about in her recent history is now quite some time ago, back in 2012. Also, shortly after we recorded this conversation, I started working for Spark London or with Spark London and I now host an open mic night for Spark on the second Monday of every month. So you can go to Spark London nights on the first Monday, the second Monday and the third Monday of every month. We also talk about stand-up tragedy and that variety night is now happening again. Our next one is on the 28th of March and it's at the Dog Star in Brixton, starts at 7.30, got a brilliant lineup of performers, musicians, comedians, storytellers, true storytellers, spoken word artists, all sorts of things, live art, it's going to be great. So come along to that, we're even going to have tragic karaoke at the end if we get that right, so you can get up and sing some tragic songs. So it's on Thursday the 28th of March. No work the next day because it's Good Friday, so you should come along. So yes, I found that uh, storytelling and uh, stand-up comedy reveal your problems and somehow heal them better than psychoanalysts and faster do. I hope so. It helped me revisit my life Yeah. and uh, also understand it better and understand why it happened, how it happened. I learned a lot visiting my life while creating stories. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today... We're getting better acquainted with Julie. Hello, Julie. Hello. Nice to have you on my show. We were talking off mic just a minute ago about your fear that the length of the episodes are a bit too long. It's quite a common thing that's said to me. There are lots of people who don't like to listen for an hour to things, and I I respect that I can't win everybody over. Maybe I'll win you over at least in this conversation. At least we'll have a good hour, even if it's hard for you to listen to an hour-long show, generally. It would be for sure... Wonderful to be with you for an hour. <laughs> well, quite. So the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Through Facebook, I think. Okay. And also through Park London. That's right, yeah. We met there, told stories on stage a few times. I've seen you a few times. I think I've probably seen you do more stories than you've seen me do stories. So we met through Spark London, and I saw you tell some stories. We told a story on the same night, I think, one time and then I approached well you approached me I think yes because I wanted to perform in your uh, comedy show yeah stand up uh, tragedy yes I was watching a video of your comedy this morning before I came out if, if I do stand up tragedy again and you're available I certainly would like to book you I'll say that on my I definitely would like to book you I would have booked you as a storyteller but I think I was enjoying your you as a comedian as well mm-hmm. there's, there's similarities between what you're doing in your storytelling but there's also I, I think a difference in what you're doing. Of course, storytelling yeah. and uh, stand-up comedy is not the same thing. Absolutely. But I use my storytelling skills for my comedy show mm-hmm. and my comedy 
in my storytelling nowadays. Stand-up comedy is new, so for the moment <laughs> it is more passion than the yeah. storytelling. Doesn't mean that I forgo storytelling yeah. because I'm going to Edinburgh with Joanna. Are you? I in might August. see you. I might see you there. I may she very well be there. Invited me for a week, and I will tell stories. And I love telling stories. And I will tell a story on Tuesday at Toastmaster meeting. So yes, I enjoy storytelling, but in comedy, the public has such a wonderful reaction. You get such a great feedback, mm -hmm. which even with the wonderful audience in Canal Cafe Theater, I don't get. Yeah. Cheering, screaming, and then laughing. Yeah, in Smart London storytelling events, people listen respectfully. Yes. They, but there isn't any kind of, there isn't really uh, cheering or no, things. That sometimes happen. they applaud or they laugh, but that is normal and nice. Yeah. And what is very important for me in the storytelling, yeah. that after the show, almost always someone came to me and, talked to and you. told me it was for me. Oh, nice. I think it helped me. Yeah. And that was already worth everything. I've had that experience in, in Spark London as well, t telling a story and s someone coming up to me afterwards and saying, you know, that spoke to something in my yes. life. And I've certainly seen lots of stories that have spoken to me as well. Do you understand? Well, I think that's why people tell stories, is to kind of reach out to other people and, and share yes. experience. And exactly. And it's, 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 a great, it's a great night. Joanna helps us extremely well. Yes, she does. Just by changing a little bit here or there, yeah. it makes it more stronger. That's right. For the Spark London at the Canal Cafe Theatre, there's a rehearsal the night before that Joanna gives you notes on. That's what you're yes. referring to. In March, yeah. we had a team in Canal Cafe Theatre which was changed. Oh, okay. And in November last year, we begin a storytelling workshop in my Louis Speaker Club. Yeah. Every month we met and we prepared and we taught other Toastmasters who were more beginners mm -hmm. how to tell story. And in March, five of us went together and performed. Oh, nice. At, at Spa. And that I was very proud. That was one of my proudest accomplishments okay. because they were my kids. Almost yeah. performing. Yeah. I was also, of course, but they they went there. Some of them quite new, other soldiers um, to storytelling. And in a few months, they developed, and we could go on stage. That's really nice. Must be a fantastic feeling. I mean, I know that putting something together with a group of people, yes. you become very close, and you. The, exactly. the celebration at the end of it is very profound, I think. The second question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? What I do now? Yes. I'm retired, mm -hmm. and I have been retired for 17 years now. <laughs> I am 77, and yeah. I retired at 60. They pushed me off. doesn't matter now. Yeah. And uh, that made me possibility to write and to publish things and to learn about writing and so now what I do I tell stories true yeah. personal stories usually a few Hungarian folk stories because I'm of Hungarian origin as you perhaps know yes I'm a photographer also uh, now I begin when I was 70 I have now about 50,000 photos on Flickr 
and usually about one to two thousand people comes every day to look at them. Monday evening this week, yeah. I won the semi-finals in Gordon Jeffster comedy. The next day, four thousand people came to see my photo. Wow, that's great! In one day, yeah, I I, I can hardly believe it. Yeah, I bet. And I also publish my stories on Boxcom. Yep. And there are everyday people coming to read them. It's very interesting which they are interested, which they read, and videos. Yeah, that's right, you do, you've got videos on Vimeo. I, yeah, but I am not good at video, but I just do it to, because this is something different. Yeah. And you see, and, and you really see it. Is it right to say that you sort of started telling stories in various forms, like through photographs or through storytelling? kind of when you retired that that was kind of the moment that that started is that right to say no no i did not begin last year or i did not begin uh, when i retired i begin when i was 10 year old right when you were 10 10 it was a war yeah and we hid from nazis and my mother wanted me not to speak too much to other people and gave me a diary and I begin writing in my diary what happened around me, what, how I felt. And from 10 to now, I'm still writing diary. Wow. I published my diaries from 10 to 70 in French. I translated them right. because it was written, most of them in Hungarian and some in French. Right. And I translated them, corrected them, have them corrected and so on. I wanted to publish them. And the publisher told me, it is very interesting, but it, it is still has to have more context. Right. Because I knew the context, so I didn't have to write down yeah. in my own diary. That's right, okay. So then I begin to study writing, to write short stories, to add into, in middle of my diaries. So, and then I was looking how to publish them. But the web, I, I never could make a website. I was not good enough. And then I discovered blogging. Yeah. And it was eight years ago, and I began blogging. And I published two, at the beginning, two blogs in French. One was called, or is called now, Retro Blog. Right. Which has where I published every day one more note from my diary. Okay, that's Which nice. Is now Coming finished. Okay. Yes. And uh, another was called, and still called, is called because uh, I continue it, Il y a de la vie après 70 ans. Right. Which means there is life after 70. And I wanted to prove myself when I was 70 when I discovered the blogs. Yes. And after I was divorced and alone and felt old, yes. I was afraid that there is life after seven. And uh, from then on, because I learned that if I want people to come, I have to be regular. I wrote every morning. So people when wake up, they take their coffee, they open their computer and they find my photo. That's very good, yeah. It's a very good Ups approach. And, downs. Yeah. and uh, nowadays, every day I have uh, not much, 200, but uh, still, 
impressive. Two hundred is 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 nice. I mean, I, I, I and they come back. Yeah, well, and absolutely. some of some people discover new people, mm. and some comment. So it is not thousands or ten thousands, but that's still well, important for me. That's a great and number. And I am very faithful, even if I am now in London, and they are my personal public. Yes. Where I tell my personal stories, which I wouldn't tell in English. Okay. Ups and downs, and how I feel about things around me. I came four years ago, here. Yeah. And the f- two months before, I begin my London bro to to learn a little bit, to write, speak more English. And uh, that is has some followers, but not so much. But nowadays. Every time I write, I publish in Facebook. That's in right. Facebook, yeah. I have more people who see. I don't know how how much. But yeah. Well, I, I see have, it. I, I see it when it comes out. Yeah. Okay. So I have followers who then eventually come to see it, also. Yeah. And that also now they every day. Well, that's great. That's really. And good. Uh, I have another blog. Yeah. <laughs> now, which I care very much about. Which is called Competent Communicator. We just now had entered the 12,000 entries. Wow. Which is not bad. That's just good. Even it is a long time, of course. But I put there links to all my videos, all my podcasts, all the things I do in communication. That's business, a good idea. Let's say. Yeah, a central somehow, place. Yes, yeah, and it somehow showcase for producers and, and so on. Well, that's a really good idea. You, you seem to be a woman after my own heart in that you've got so many projects going on. I'm kind of known amongst my friends as having lots and lots of projects all the time. Those projects, I told you, most of them are at home. Yeah. But last year, and I will tell you later, yeah. I begin uh, to learn about comedy. Yes. And that is my present. Obsession. Obsession yeah. or passion, let's passion. say. Passion, okay. Yeah. When I was talking to you about what we might talk about, you said that you had you, you wanted to say some things about age and perceptions of age. So when I was uh, 33 years old, my first husband told me, we are too old to go to dance. <laughs> and I mean, I'm 30 now, so I, that means in three years I would not be allowed to dance anymore. Exactly. Ugh. And I was very sad. <laughs> we didn't want to come to dance because I love dancing. And when I was 55 years old, I met my second husband. I was divorced now for a long time. And he loved to dance. (laughs) And I just um, uh, put on Facebook a photo of La Boheme from Butmont Martre, where we went dancing. And that opened me the souvenir, the memory of all that Waltzing which we did together and how proud he was of me and me going to dance with him at that time. Yeah. So at 55, I begin to feel younger again, <laughs> somehow. And yes, we did a lot of things that only young people do. <laughs> he was 60, I was 55, and we kissed in the forest and in the sea. Nice. And in the elevator <laughs> and we walk hand by hand he became then my second husband we were together 15 years 
And then we split, and at 77 now, with uh, my uh, stand-up comedy, I feel even younger than I was at 33 or 55. So you feel like you've been getting younger as you've been getting older in, your, in the inside way you feel me. inside, yeah? Inside me. Because I, perhaps because I dare now, without waiting for others yeah. to do or to come or... You to, yeah, I do, I mean. very much. I mean, my dad is 88 years old, and he had me when he was 58. So all of my life, he's pretty much been a retired person. And I've sort of witnessed him being young as an old man. Mm-hmm. So I, I, very so much, I very much understand what you're saying. But many young people don't. No, well, I, I, indeed, they and don't. And that yeah. helps my comedy somehow. Yeah. Because I come there, first I acknowledge that I'm old. Yes. And I can barely walk and so on, <laughs> and then surprise them. Well, it's, and it is very Speaking surprising. Speaking their language and, and so on. Well, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I was watching you earlier on, and it, you, you do make use of your age very, very well. Like, you, you surprise them by swearing and talking about kind of sex and things like that that I've witnessed that kind of reaction you know towards my dad amongst my friends you know he's a, he's a very popular person to come around because they don't expect him to talk about uh, mm-hmm. or they do now but the, you know you don't expect someone of that age to start talking about that sort of I thing I read yeah. a not long time ago a book from Jane Fonda she writes about old age yeah and how first of all how many old people still do sex okay? <laughs> mm-hmm. like and secondly when you continue learning then uh, you are alive yes absolutely I had a wonderful friend was called Stephanie and she was 15 years older than me she told me what is the most important not to die before dying nice it was very wise yeah it's great advice but and I would say I mean I think that's kind of a similar reason that my my dad has stayed so so young inside because he's had first of all children to bring up, which keeps you keeps you learning and keeps you engaging. And also he's he's always been a writer, and so he's also carried on learning. I would say, which is still learning now. He's yeah. still writing now. So now, if you want about learning, if mm-hmm. you don't have other questions, well, I was going to go into learning from here. You're, you're, yes. you're think we're thinking in the same line. So learning is something that okay. you have spent your life doing. And why? Because I forbidden <coughs> to learn or was was not able to learn, let's say, from sometimes in my life. When I was 10, for a year we had to hide. From the Nazis? From Nazis, yes. And this was in Trans- well, was Transylvania? It was in Hungary. Yeah, okay. But from Transylvania, my father took us away in Budapest, okay. where no one knew us. So you were born in Transylvania, us. then you went yes. to Budapest? yes. And then we went to small villages and back to Budapest and so on. But for one year I couldn't learn anything <laughs> else than reading and writing my diary. Okay. No contact with mm. children and so on. But uh, I wanted to read. Yeah. And when I was 18, it was communist regime, it was now back in Transylvania, which was Romania now. And uh, my father had been a very poor peasant 
village, let's say, a child, but he was very bright, very good storyteller, <laughs> very good joker and organizer, and he became a director of uh, enterprise before the war. And that was considered bourgeois by communists. Yep. And the bourgeois children were not allowed to university when I was 18. No. Even if I had very good grades, they didn't let me go to study further. Okay, so what, it was the only, only the proletariat that were allowed to go to study at, at that, that time. time? Yes. And so I went to work. Now, like worker, I was worker now. I could study, but only like in an open university kind of thing. Okay. And I went to, to study engineering, chemistry. Not that I liked, I wanted to be a writer even then. But my father told me that is not a profession. No money in and, uh, it. And <laughs> not only not money in it, but in Romania you couldn't tell what you wanted. Of course, yeah, because of the censorship at the time. Yes. Yeah. And so, and also told me I have to gain some experience, of life experience before. So, okay, I went to chemistry. I had three days to give my last exam to have the engineering diploma when I met Elena Ceausescu. Now, wow. Most of your listeners perhaps don't know who she was. She was the wife of the future dictator, Tiran, yeah. uh, secretary party, communist secretary party of Romania. But when I met her, she was not yet. It was a, a year, perhaps, uh, before. So she hadn't so no met one knows, knew her. Okay. Because after that, they put their pictures every day in every newspaper. But was she married at the time to Chas yes, Chasesky? Yes, they yeah. were married. Okay. And unhappily to me, she went to the same university, like me, but we didn't see her any time in exams. Okay. So probably she wanted me somehow out, so I cannot tell that she was not there. I don't know how she got her diploma anyway. Yeah. But she got it just a few months before me. And she came to the lab where I worked and wanted to take my desk. Your desk? Well, like, so she, she said, you, you leave, I want to I wanna work there? No, you give me, I need it to put it in my... To put it in her own office? Yes. Okay. Oh. And I told her, no, that is mine, <laughs> I have been mine for three years. I didn't know her also. Yeah. And she began to make a big scene. Yes. And I told her, calm down. She's not used to being told to no. calm down or to no. Or no, really. No. So it all lasted three minutes. After three minutes, she went out, still very... I didn't give her. I told her that if my boss tells me to give you, I give it to you. But she's not here now. So when she comes, I speak to her. And then I went to my neighbors, asking who is that crazy woman. <laughs> Happily enough, they don't, didn't tell like that. Yes. Father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the next day, I came to work. They didn't let me in. And I was out of my work. And not only out of my work, but I even didn't get, I tried to get a 
work like uh, uh, making something with my hands, you know, lowest. Yeah. Not engineering work. No. Or research work I was doing. A basic and job even, that, Yes. Yeah. Even that I was not allowed. And then I went to give my exam and I was no more on the list. And I was declared enemy of people. You were declared an enemy of the people? Yeah. Okay. And uh, forbidden to study and forbidden to finish my studies. Because you wouldn't give someone a desk? Partly that is how it seemed. Yeah. Yes. I was asking myself a long time why it happened. I don't think it was only the desk, no. But yes. And uh, that is a story I told the Spark London yeah. about uh, the desk. Yeah, I think I don't think I heard that one. And uh, yeah, I I was extremely depressed, of course. One of after six years of studying, not being able to study anymore and have my reward. Yeah, I bet. So you uh, sort of interrupted and, you know, just I studied the and worked. Well. Yeah. So I, I I really couldn't do anything almost. I was 25, and as I told at the Spark, I don't mind telling, that's when I decided to go all the way with my boyfriend <laughs> the first time, because I began very late. And then I was happy again. <laughs> it didn't matter so much. It doesn't mean that it was not difficult. Yeah. And that is when I began to study six months French, and then six months in English. So my English began also there. So again, my great-grandmother, who told me after the war, from everything bad, something good comes, arrives, was true. A lot of good things arrived from that tragic event. And besides, I wanted to go out. I didn't want anymore to be in Romania. So my father had less difficulty persuading me to leave. than before to okay. leave. It still took two years until they let us out. At that time, I married my boyfriend. Yeah. I got pregnant even, and I was two months pregnant with my daughter when I went out of Romania. And it took me 15 years to get back to studies and to have a diploma. Children will get in the way, won't they? Yeah, yeah two children. And, uh, and we lived outside Paris and so on. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know well French either and so on. But yes, after that, finally, when I was 43 <laughs> year old, no more 25, yeah. Yeah. I got a PhD in chemistry from Paris. Most important for me was that I showed her. And after my PhD, I went to America for three years. Wow. And discovered Toastmasters and, and more, many things. So that's when you sort of started telling stories, then, like true stories, because that's what Toastmasters does, doesn't it? Tells. Yeah, not so much, but I started speaking in public. Okay. First public time speakers. to teach in university, ah. which I wouldn't have had the courage if I didn't have Toastmaster 
And then, because I had more confidence in myself, I met some men, <laughs> which I needed because I was just freshly divorced. Yep. <laughs> to prove him wrong that no one looks at me anymore. Toastmaster <sighs> led to many things. <laughs> I was three years there until I had to quit America, back to France. Yeah. And then happened what I told in my story, which is called Mistaken Identity. Had you seen Mistaken Identity? I think I have seen that one, yeah. That is for me. Uh, mistaken identity, yeah. that was the theme of in uh, Spark London, That's right. is for me a cornerstone, how you tell, Cor cornerstone, uh, a changing yeah. a road. Cat catalyst, do you mean? Something like that, yeah. let's say. A very important story, Yes. because I begin to tell that story when the recession begin, uh -huh, to yes. tell how I changed very late in life my work yeah and it evolved telling by telling in one place in my different Toastmaster clubs first and then it spark but That's people right. begin to laugh yes and they laughed and laughed and laughed and I didn't know why yeah. I need I knew sometimes because yeah. I made some figures and so on but not all the time and that is when I decided I have to study why people laugh and oh. how to make them laugh when I want. Rather than when they want. <laughs> the, rather by chance. Yes. Yeah. And that is when I decided to go to a comedy school. <laughs> wow. So and that is why. And that was, and so, you, so you're currently studying stand-up? Or you have finished that school? Have you finished at that school or are you currently studying? I begin in January last year. Right. It was a two first. I had been to four yeah. workshops, different. First one was a comedy school. It was uh, February March, and we had a showcase and pirate castle. Mm -hmm. Very went very well. Right. Oh, very good. Hundred twenty people screaming all the time, <laughs> cheering, and it was very nice. Yeah, I bet. But. Uh, that school, for me, it was the most difficult of all, because they were ten boys and me, <laughs> at 77. Yeah. They resented me that I was there. Yeah. And that was the only time when I begin to tell them something that I died. You know, dying in comedy means people staring at you yes. and not laughing, not laughing at all. Yeah. And two weeks later, because we went every week, my leg hurt and I was furious and I paid so I, I had decided to continue anyway. Yeah. And that yeah. also to use their language. Yeah. Okay, we're picking up some we can other people, but that's okay. There's, and there's we can go further, perhaps in the other end of the room. There is, a there, is a, there is some chairs at the other side of the room. That might be a good idea, especially because we've got like the, yes, the building site. Let's stop and carry on over there. Let's see. If you're enjoying getting better acquainted with me and with my guests, Maybe you'd like to help other people find out about the show. There's a few easy ways to do that. You can go on iTunes if you've got five minutes and leave a review, 
saying what you think of it. That helps it get higher rankings on iTunes and stuff like that. What the show really needs is word of mouth. And in this internet age, that means liking the show's page on Facebook or retweeting it or sharing the link to all of your Facebook friends or Twitter followers, doing whatever you need to do in whatever social networking site you use. And if you don't use a social networking site, well, hey, you can just tell your friends or email your friends and tell them about what's going on. We were talking about your experiences currently doing stand-up in a group with lots of men and you on stage you 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 were very angry you were saying that you were yes and that is when i decided to tell them how i feel and all my beginning now it is from there so when you were very angry one day yes and i decided to tell them in their own language you know that what the I am doing here, yeah. it is from there. So you sort of is that that's when you swore at them. And then those. yes, and then they begin to laugh <laughs> and accepted me somehow between them. Yeah, and we had contact, and that works everywhere in every comedy show I have gone so far. Yeah, thirty-six. You've done a lot of this year. Yeah. That opens the somehow the door. That shows that I am not so different. Finally, yeah, like it's that. Kind of, yeah, it, it puts, it connects you. You know, people say, "Oh, she's she's not different from us." She, we have she shared yeah. experience. Yeah, and they all realize that is not my usual language. Yes, because when young people, all the time in comedy, tells it, no one laughs. Yeah, because it is almost like a normal yes. language for me. No, Absolutely. and I tell them also that I never use them in Hungarian, my mother language. <laughs> and I never use them in private, only in For public on stage. Yeah. No, that's and really so good. they love it. Well, that's a really good bit as well. I really enjoy that. Um, that enjoyed that. That's the start of your comedy routine. So really, in a way, your life has been a sort of series of trying to study and then something stopping you from studying. Is that, would or that be trying fair? to have love <laughs> and something yeah, well, stopping... The love. For my first husband, it was the cheating. Mm-hmm. Which, yes. by the way, my children don't want to me to speak. Okay. But why not? I, it happened. Yeah. And I just remember that, but after seven years of marriage, when I cheated him back, and he found out, he began to confess all his cheatings of what he did and he told me that the first time it was one week after we married and it still hurts one week that's not very long at all no we were two years together before we married okay but still yeah it was for me i wanted to marry someone not like my father who cheated on my mother all the time Mm -hmm. i wanted to marry a serious nice boy yeah and I believed I did find him yeah and uh, well we are all like others and that is my second part of comedy act comes from there yeah for my feelings about infidelity infidelity yes yeah I and I try to make it funny perhaps it's not as funny yet as it should be but still 
make finally people laugh. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it, painful, painful things are, are often very funny when they're when they're when they're reinterpreted through comedy. Others, others' problems are our laughter and our. <laughs> Problems are others. And something we can Comedy. understand as well. I think yes. a lot of people can identify with fidelity. I mean, my father was unfaithful, you might say, to my mum and and, uh, and to his first wife. In fact, or I, if, I, if he hadn't, have, if, if my father hadn't have been unfaithful to his first wife, then I wouldn't be here. So uh, it's a complicated, uh, it's mm-hmm. a complicated thing. Yeah. I think. So yes, true. And then um, because I am storyteller, I. In my stand-up routine, mm-hmm. from there I go to the story about shaving. That's right. Yes. And uh, I will, when I begin to, no, for now, my routine is seven minutes. Yeah. I try sometimes to do it in five, but uh, of course, people begin to laugh. Then it takes even longer. But when I will do. Seven or twenty. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of material which I begin to do about different problems of aging, like uh, hair, which goes white, and uh, <laughs> the teeth which fall, and and so on. Mm-hmm. You can take it with dignity and laugh at them. Yeah, for sure. Last year, at the same time, I took comedy classes, and we stopped. But I had a second class which was for with uh, Logan Murray, who brought a book also, right. uh, Stand Up and Deliver. And he's very good. It was in May. Very difficult because it was seven hours Saturday, seven hours Sunday in Camden for four weeks. Very intensive. Yeah, that's a lot of And he work. taught us how to look at everything with comedian eye. So when I had my cataract operation, my son came and took me home, but left me alone because he had to move. And I felt very, very sorry of myself. No one there, and uh, I couldn't see really at that time. And I had to put drops in my eye. And so I tried to put drops and the drops didn't come. And I felt like a lost child, really. And then I suddenly realized that I didn't open the small bottle. The drops couldn't come. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly I realized that is a story I can tell in comedy. Yeah, I can And from see that. that moment on, I felt completely different. <laughs> and everything lifted. Because it was and all I material. For your for your comedy yeah. now, and I was no more in my sorrow. Yeah, but outside it somehow. I think that's how I I feel that way quite often when I'm when I'm feeling you know negative about the world. When I start to change it into stories, when I try to start to write it down, it can it can uh, make me feel completely different about it. Even yeah. though the facts you rewrite are the same. the history, yes. you rewrite the sentiment, you reinterpret it. You look at it from outside somehow also. Yeah. You try to work it so make people understand or empathize yeah. or laugh of it even yeah. better. Absolutely. And then I had six months later my second cataract operation, which was also last year. No, this year in January only. Yeah. 
we were 12 well, older people waiting to being operated, very tense, and I begin to laugh with my neighbor. And for 20 minutes waiting, we found something to... To laugh about. To laugh about. That's lovely. And so everything, I told myself it was already worth for that, yes. to take all that comedy classes. And I am, was still not gigging. It took me the third class with the Toastmaster, which called is David Jones. Very good. I had listened to him yesterday, a colleague of English speakers or something like that. Okay. And he gave a wonderful humoristic speech, inspiring speech, telling that you are not born like comedian. You can learn yes. if you have a good teacher okay. and if you practice. And by practicing you learn what it works, what doesn't work, you take out and you have to practice and go again and again and again and that is how every comedian learns. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So, he told us he can teach us, and not very expensive, as that was September, October, if after we do at least 20 gigs. And you've done over 20 now. 36 yes. and going. Yes. Until end of June, it will be 40 end. Wow. Yes. And I have won uh, the title of best silver comedy newcomer of 2012. But mostly, I won audience laughter, <laughs> which is so warming. Yeah. So wonderful. I, asked, I don't know if you have been to Cavendish Arms. I have, I, yeah. I won the tiny cup. Yes, I saw that actually on your um, Facebook. I think... 10 days ago, two, two weeks ago. But mostly the audience really reacted so wonderfully. And I came home so happy. Oh, it's yeah. more important than price and everything when audience really react to what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that is why passion, of course, is more and more. I fall in love with the audience, in fact, because you asked me when I begin storytelling in public was different from story writing. Definitely. Because I Definitely. wrote all my life and more and more and I had a bestseller book of computers in 87 in France. But storytelling I begin only when I arrived here. With my first story told with Joanna Spark Now or Never when I told how I arrived from Paris, how I prepared and how I arrived to London. That's right. I've heard that story mm. in the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, and uh, then I went to also to Toastmasters and told my, what is called Icebreaker, the first story about your life. And people reacted so well that I fall in love with the audience. <laughs> and I'm still in love with the audience. That's I love nice. them. Yeah, I mean, well, didn't and you the say... And somehow they give me back. They give the energy back to me. I think, you say, don't you say in your stand-up routine that doing stand-up is like making love, you say? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, at the beginning it was speaking to audience. But then I changed yeah. it. Yeah, of, of course, of bit, course, yeah. now, yeah, yeah. Well, the, yeah, I mean, I, and I can see that. And I, 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 I also feel that way. There's nothing, there's nothing like being up in front of an audience... And having them respond to you, I'm not particularly interested. I like it when they laugh, 
but that's not really my interest, I think, which is why I run a night called Stand Up Tragedy rather than Stand Up Comedy. But I, lo- I love the reaction and to be to, be, to have a connection. With yes, that people. connection, yeah. that special connection that is there also in photography. Then mm. before coming to London, I decided to go to every arrondissement, borough of Paris, there are 20, okay. and to discover some new streets where tourists don't go very often. And I went to one to other each week to another, and I had that special connection with people. And if you look at my portraits on Flickr, you can see the, that connection in their face. Yeah. And I had that connection even in uh, Sicily, or in America, or in Morocco. These people want some, something in our eyes clicked. Yeah, absolutely. I know what you mean. I mean, that's really... And this is not so much different no. from storytelling. Well, it's not any different from this show, in a way. One of the things yes. that I've been doing, one of the things I do in this show is when I talk to somebody, then I, I make that connection. I make a connection. I find where we're similar, where we're different, and I explore those kind of areas. You are, you're 77, which means that you've had a lot of life. And so I'm sure I won't capture all of it in this, in this hour conversation. But it seems to me... You, you know, you, you've lived in a situation where you were hiding from the Nazis and you've lived in a situation where you were kind of experiencing the communist regime. And then in free country? Yeah, and then in a free country in where, France. Where my husband began to cheat me Yes. and tell me we, are, we didn't make love contract. <sighs> so yes, I had a lot of ups and downs and in my you, life. And you also were... You in, you were kind of involved in computers, weren't you, quite early on? In early that age. is what you can find, my story, okay. in the mistaken identity. That's right. When I discovered coming back from America and I changed my uh, computers, personal computers, yeah. Apple II yeah. at that time. And I lived um, the computer revolution. I knew Steve Jobs and yeah. Bosniak and Bill Gates. I went to parties where they were okay. because I went every year like because I was distributing like I tell in I told in my first gig I yeah. don't tell it again but I will tell it again that uh, I have uh, a in drugs but I am not a dealer <laughs> I am a distributor right I was distributor of computer products yeah in fact yeah. from um, America to Paris for almost 10 years. Wow. I founded my company and I worked 80 years a week or more. 80 hours a week, wow. Uh, but uh, the first four years, I, it went up to millions of francs which they come in. Yeah. But of course, everyone, everything went also out and many into the banks who had to give me credit. Yes. But it was an exciting time. And you had two children. And, and Were you single parent at that time? Were you on your own yes, with the children? Yes, and my husband didn't help me anymore after divorcing for a year, perhaps. Then we went to America. He told me, until they come back, I don't help. And when we came back, he told me he has no money. <sighs> I found out later he had more than I gained. But anyway... 
Well, he unhappily for him died very early. I'm sorry relatively. to hear that. Then I was alone 15 years, and after 15, I found that man with whom I danced. So you had you've had a very eventful life, uh, full of events and like you say ups the and downs. The China says, you know the China saying. China, Chinese proverb. Yes. Should you have an interesting life? That's right. Yes. I had an interesting life. I don't regret it. Okay. Because from everything happening, I have now a story, or a comedy, or something to tell, a memory. Yes, and so you've learned from all of those experiences. Yes, and I went, I, I, I'm still here living it. Yes. Something I can't understand, because I wasn't alive in that, in that time or in that country, is the kind of experience of the Nazi regime coming um, across to Eastern Europe and the coming I mean how old were you when 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 you were hiding from the Nazis you were 10 you said so that's another story yeah which is called when I was 10 yes year old mm -hmm. which not I I told not only uh, Toastmasters and uh, Spark London mm -hmm. but I went to Joanna to Manchester where 400 people in the Manchester town hall yeah organized by um, Grant Whiskey, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen to that story. And it is a video yeah. on it. So they can find you can find it in yes. on, online. And I tell it what I think, why it is good, because I told it like I was 10 years you old. You do, that's the first story I, I saw you do. I, I didn't brilliant. add anything, any knowledge, which I didn't know that time. And I didn't know much. <laughs> no, well, you're ten. And the rest of it, people add fill to it, yeah. fill in, and I tell them from the child point of view. Yeah, that's I, I think that is why it is good. That is why it's a very strong story, yes. absolutely. In my uh, journal, which I translated, my first journal at least, um, diary, in English also, I put also one or two stories which give the context, which I learned when I was 11, after. And my uh, first icebreaker here in England was called And the Ice Did Not Break, which was another story, because when the Russian came in and liberated us from the Nazis, yes. the Russian soldier wanted women. And we had to run so my mother is not raped. So that story about how we went through the Danube in Budapest in the middle of winter and how happy we were that the ice did not break, told in an icebreaker speak, <laughs> was also funny and people laughed. Wow. It was a sad story, tragedy. Yeah. But which I made in a way... Funny. Yes. And so what you you I you still have a lot of stories to tell. You were on a boat going down the Danube and not the, in a boat, no, on foot. On foot. On foot. It was it on the ice. Oh, of course, I see. I understand that. On the thin, relatively thin ice. Before us, after us, people fell into and died. Oh God! And for us, the ice did not didn't break. break. We didn't take many things with us. We take the minimum things. So we didn't have much to eat after that. It was a 10-day, very difficult 
I remember one time a woman whose uh, husband uh, was on black market gave me an egg. And I stayed perhaps an hour with my mother discussing how to make that egg because that was a treasure. Yeah, of course it was. And after that we went back to to Kolorfar, which my town, big town, university town in uh, Transylvania. And then is way when only I begin to learn what happened while I was hiding and not there. And how many people around me died. Yeah. I did not experiment it, actually. No, you didn't. I experimented only the isolation. Yeah, you went and, and you the left. feeling of danger, but that's. But you didn't go through the actual experience, no, because no. you'd left and you, yes. you came back. Did it? Did it feel? Did it feel strange to come back and to have been, have have it been away? It was wonderful to come back. Yes. But it was awful to have lost my cousin. I had a cousin, same age like me, perhaps one or two months, uh, younger or older, I don't remember, with whom I went to school until we fled. And we sit in the same bank and we played at my place or her place every day. And she was uh, taken to Auschwitz. And when I came back, she was not there. And I wouldn't believe she will not come back. It took me three years to begin to believe that she must be indeed. And I imagined her always going there with my, her mother in the gas chamber. And I imagined myself in her place. Of course, yeah. And when I was a child, I was perhaps 12 years old. And I still didn't want to take a shower because I heard that they were told they take a shower. Yeah. And the shower, very long time, made me afraid. It came somehow after shock, let's say, yeah. what I heard. I mean, people people described it, it's been described as kind of survivors survivor guilt. Like yes, something like yeah. that. And uh, very very long time I. Sometimes even nowadays, I count my years and I have now 67 years more than your lived cousin. 67 years more than her. So, as um, millions of people who died, perhaps, but for me, she. She's was the one the that makes it real. Yes. Yeah. And when I tell it, I didn't tell it much yet, that part, but when I do, that people feel it also. Absolutely. I mean, a specific person is much easier to relate to yes. than a big number, I think. And I have another story I tell, then about communist regime. When I was 15, I told with uh, Joanna in a face center, about face. Yeah. Because I was very much believer when I was 15, I believed in communists. Ah, okay. Um, Stalin said, Lenin said, I will devote my life, and so on. And I believed 
we have to liberate the capitalist countries, the people who suffer there and so on, everything. And one day I was uh, 15 and a half year old, a night, I heard the uh, noise, people coming, steps yeah. uh, approaching. I had my room and I slept there with my thin nightgown. And they came with a revolver, five men around my bed, and told me to go to the other room, to my mother's room. And I remember still now being afraid to wake up because I was not dressed. Yes. And I was almost 16. Yes. And not to be raped like mm -hmm. my souvenir, yeah. which suddenly came back somehow. And it took me some time and decision and my mother from the other room telling me to go there. And then I had seen my father in uh, what is called? Uh, handcuffs. Yes, in handcuffs and in pyjama. And he was arrested in the middle of night, three o'clock at night, and taken away. He had a very important position and someone wanted it. That is what we found out later only. But for seven months we didn't know where he is. We didn't know, he was not arrested officially. Mm. We didn't know he disappeared yeah. for seven months. And I was taken out of youth association and told that I am bad and I did bad things, which it was not true. And even after that, I, I still believed for some time. And the real awakening came at 68, Hungarian Revolution, yeah. when the Russian soldiers went into Hungary and against the young people who wanted some a little bit more liberty yeah. of speaking a little bit, not much. Yes, exactly. And crushed that and killed them and imprisoned them. And that was the end for me completely. That's when you stopped uh, following communism as a Then as a we passed system. one to other, a poem, which uh, poet E.S. Jula written. It was uh, about the tyranny and how much tyranny is around us and even us somehow help the tyranny and so on. Absolutely. A wonderful poem. And we wrote it because it was not uh, published. published, but we wrote in our... And I wrote in my diary that I'm a little bit afraid to write in my diary that. But if I am afraid they don't do it, it is even more tyranny. Absolutely. And I still, so I wrote it, and I still have it. Do you have it? You don't have it with you today? No. No. But I could send you or read it to you. Was it? Yeah, I mean, I'd certainly be interested to hear yes, it. Yes, it is translated also in English. And, I mean... So you experienced two tyrannies, two different tyrannies. You, you, you Three. What's the, the so Nazi, the Nazi regime, the communist regime? What's the third one? When uh, my son was born, I found out that my husband cheated on me, and then he became 
He began to begin to abuse me. Oh, okay. So he's tired and he was even worse Absolutely. for me personally. Absolutely. And, and I didn't know any time when he will hit me. And uh, yeah, so yes, uh, it was uh, three tyrannies. So yeah, okay. So and so you've seen a lot of tyranny, I guess. What? How do you think we avoid tyranny? How do you think we can avoid avoid making those kind of mistakes again? I don't think we can avoid tyranny because people are bad or uh, try to to use their power and less they feel secure more they try it but we can at least know that we don't have to to remain there yes i could have gone away from my husband long time before i was afraid of my father what he will say and that i cannot live without him because i had not enough money and so on I would say now to people, to women, do not remain there. For sure, for sure. Do not support it so long. Absolutely, I mean... Uh, I that you can do. But how do you I do don't it? think you can change the world. Yeah. But at least you can change your life. Okay. And I changed mine, finally. Even if I didn't change because of that, I changed because I found the end time my husband cheating and I told myself even better alone than Absolutely. with him. And then I begin to live again. I, I found out that I can and my father helped and everyone tried to help and I finished my studies and went to America and founded a company and and so on. <laughs> And became a capitalist, I guess, to a certain extent, eventually, because you were yeah, running why a not? I'm not, I'm not, not knocking it. And now I am <laughs> one of the... I'm, I've always voted in France with Conservative Party. The what? Because the, the Conservative Party. Ah, okay, the, in because, France. Because I voted against socialists who allied themselves with communists. Because I didn't want the same thing, tyranny, to happen. Absolutely, I can yeah. understand that decision. The political point of view, let's say. Yeah, I can understand that decision, especially based on your on your experience. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, what well, you would like to know? Well, the last—I mean, we're we, we're about at the stage where I ask the last question, really, which I think we've kind of we've covered the last question quite a lot in the in the conversation. Because the last thing I ask is, do you have anything that you'd like to promote or plug? You know, to tell people to go to uh, to see or. Um, that sort of thing um, it can be something that you're doing like your comedy or it could be something you'd like to say more generally about the world sometimes people make statements about life storytellers comedians public speakers they do not have to be pretty <laughs> because I always believed if I am not blonde and beautiful I cannot be on stage I don't care anymore yeah. the important thing is that we have some connection uh, from soul to soul, from heart to heart, from mind to mind. Yeah. And the second thing I wanted to tell, that I always was a fish out of water. Because I was not Jewish. Even if I was Jewish origin, but I was not. I was um, Calvinist from okay. uh, beginning. 
because my parents christened me very early in order to try to placate somehow, which we didn't finally, but we hoped. So I was raised without the religion which my other part of family had. Okay, Already fish out of water. Yeah. And then I was Hungarian between Romanians. And then I was Hungarian French between French and so on. So in London I feel very well because there is such a diversity and there are many fish out of water. Yeah, everyone's and a fish out are, of water here. And we yeah. are water, yeah. And we are together yeah. in it. And that is a wonderful thing I felt and what is why I love so much about London. <laughs> we spoke about people coming to me after and talking to you. Last week a young girl in Soho, Lions Den, told me I laughed until my belly hurt. <laughs> How about that? That's nice. It was really nice. They tell me also the parts they love. That's good to hear. They remember. And uh, so, yes, I found that uh, storytelling and uh, stand-up comedy reveal your problems and somehow heal them better than psychoanalysts and faster do. I hope so. It helped me revisit my life and uh, also understand it better and understand why it happened, how it happened. I learned a lot in my life while creating stories. I mean, I had that same experience with Spark and storytelling. One of the big inspirations for this project is telling stories to, to work out my life. The first story I told was on that night that you did Mistaken Identities. I did the story about, and I've put it out on this show as well in, in, in episode one, of me mistaking the present around the Christmas tree and I remember punishment that. coming from it that. It was so strongly emotional. It was very emotional I, for me. I almost see it now when you told it. Yeah, the pictures of it. And yeah, I mean, I, I found that experience myself. And but do you feel felt better after that? I think because when you told it, you were still hurting. Yeah, I, well, I didn't know that I was hurting when I decided to tell it, and I, because I remember after the in the rehearsal, Joanna said to me, "Why did you? Why are you telling this? Like, why? What? Why? Why are you telling this story?" And I think you, then you said, "You know, you, you you know, you must still be hurting from this story." And I, I think I said something like. No, no, I'm not hurting from it. I just, I was looking for, th- looking for a story to tell with that theme, and this, I thought of this story, and it happened to be a depressing story. But I, I, I you know, I, I don't have any feelings about this experience anymore. It's old, old news. But that was nonsense. I mean, that was not what true, I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought then. And when it is it too much hurting, is is not yet the time. I went to Brixton. Yeah. And I told the story about my husband. And I tried it a little bit more uh, humoristic, but still, and it hurt. Yeah. This was not a good story. Because it, it hurt him. Because it was not worked it out somehow enough. I know and then mean. I had to go to comedy. And in comedy, I just put a little bit things about it. 
and now I can look at it from outside and laugh at it. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good thing to be able to do to laugh at it. That's yes. certainly something I'm working towards in my life to be able to laugh at things uh, now, that have happened to me. Yes, yeah. what I would like to more. finish my story, in fact, somehow, is to tell you that after the war, I found, and there is a story also which is I told in fact um, about my the mother of my grandmother who was 92 and she was still living after the war and she told me a lot of stories but mostly she told me again and again after each story you see Julie or Julie there is always something good that comes from bad and I live by that maxim I do believe it does you don't see it all the time immediately sometimes it takes long time to realize that it's so true well I hope it's true I think from my point of view I think sometimes good things come from bad things and sometimes bad things come from good things and I just think it's so hard to predict but I, I, I really like the sentiment and uh, I hope to, to find that that's the case I mean I, you, you should know you, you've lived a lot more life than me and uh, she lived a lot more life than me and so I think uh, you've, when you're you are right. optimist yeah. and begin to think when you are in the worst situation what good can come from that somehow something happens so it's about having the mindset yes. that something good can yes. come from it and then you'll yes. find something good Yes, because once you are in a situation which you cannot avoid, mm -hmm. then it's up to you. Yes, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yes. Yeah, that's really good advice. And uh, how you feel, it helps you a lot to go out faster. Yeah. And to find something else. Well, that's a really good point, and I will try and remember that myself when I'm in a dark period again. I don't believe in any propaganda anymore. <laughs> I have had too much propaganda. But I finish nowadays my routine telling, I don't mind the one night stand if you give me warm. If you keep you warm? If, no, if you give me warm. If, if, you, if you welcome me. Okay. Like you do now. Right. But don't call me in the morning. Google me. <laughs> Google Julie 70. That's right. Julie 70. And there you find everything about me. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, as I've done myself. Uh, and it, yeah, you're right. All, all of your stories are out there and, and all of your videos and all of your blogs are all out there. Well, it's, it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you, Julie. The last thing that I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience. It was very, very nice to be with you, and I hope for you also to be with me. I'm sure it will be. A, I'm sure it will have been nice for them to be with you. Fantastic. Goodbye, everyone. The next Spark London night that's coming up is one of the curated nights at the Canal Cafe Theatre. That'll be on the second of April, and the theme is struggles. And the next of my nights at the Hackney Attic will be on the 8th of April and the theme then is guts so come along to the Hackney Attic if you've got some stories of guts and come and tell them with me and meet me if you like maybe once we've met each other we can do a GBA who knows 
As was mentioned in the show, because Stand Up Tragedy's back, I have indeed booked Julie to perform. She's going to be performing on the 17th of May, Friday the 17th of May, at the Hackney Attic, which is quite some time in the future, but set that in your diaries if you want to catch that. And as I said at the beginning of the episode, the next Stand Up Tragedy is at the Dog Star in Brixton on the 28th of March.